We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Bures of the China Post. Hello, everyone. Good evening. And on the telephone by Southern Taiwan correspondent, Michael Smith. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Tonight, we'll be discussing the latest coronavirus-related news from here in Taiwan, which includes a big thank you to a U.S. government official, questions over whether Taiwan should basically one day limit the number of overseas visitors, and the Premier being forced to apologise for a government subsidy programme. We'll also be discussing Gaoshun Mayor Hang Guoyu going on the offensive as he seeks to rally support ahead of the June the 6th recall vote against him, a review of laws regarding mentally ill offenders following controversy surrounding a local court's commuting of the sentence of a man who fatally stabbed a railway police officer, fans now being allowed to attend local baseball games, and presidential inauguration stuff. But we'll begin with the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan, where the number of cases rose to 440 this week, as the Central Epidemic Command Centre confirmed only a handful of new cases. Some of those cases came from naval personnel who were part of the cluster infection from the Panshir support ship, while the others were all been classified as being imported cases in patients returning to Taiwan from overseas. Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Thursday expressed its thanks to US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo after he called on the head of the World Health Organization to invite Taiwan to this year's World Health Assembly. Pompeo called on all nations, including those in Europe, to support Taiwan's participation as an observer at the WHA and other relevant United Nations venues. Now, he also called on the WHO Director General Tedros Adonis to invite Taiwan to the WHA. However, WHO legal consul Derek Wharton went on to reiterate the WHO's stance that the organization's secretariat has no authority to make such a decision regarding Taiwan's invitation as it has to be made by all 194 member states. Now, a day before Pompeo's statement were made, Health Minister Chen Shih-jong accused the WHO of being irresponsible in the face of consistent requests by some of its member states to allow Taiwan to attend this year's WHA. Now, the National Taiwan University College of Public Health held another of its now regular press conferences. This time it said it believed that the coronavirus pandemic here in Taiwan will likely slow down late next month. And College Vice Dean Tony Chen told reporters that disease prevention measures should be eased gradually. Chen also suggested that the government conduct risk evaluations for different environments or events and relax regulations accordingly to those risk evaluations. And he also said that the government should consider limiting the number of overseas visitors based on the outbreak situations in each country. And Premier Su Jung Chung apologised on Thursday for the rather chaotic rollout of the government's coronavirus relief grant programme, and that apology came amid criticism that applications were too complicated and too time-consuming. Now, according to Su, the financial relief programme should have been better planned before its implementation, and he said he'll take full responsibility for not making it clearer. Now, the government began rolling out a one-time grant of 10,000 NT this week to people who are not enrolled in social insurance plans to to the costs of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, the Premier admitted that the programme was poorly prepared and he said that it should have been carried out more like the nationwide e-mask system to ensure that the public was properly informed about the application process beforehand. The grants are expected to benefit people who work but do not participate in labour insurance or different public work insurance programmes 
and have family incomes of between one and a half times to two times the average minimum living costs in their city or county. And those people are eligible for the grants. So where to begin? Let's begin with the WHO, then Dimitri and Mike Pompeo came out and said... You should let them join. But do you think Mike Pompeo, working for Donald Trump, is really a man qualified to tell the WHO to do anything? Well, I think at least he's trying to do something. But the fact that they are pushing now for this, and we also heard the foreign minister from New Zealand, we also have uh, heard um, authorities in Australia, well, it's part of a roundup of allies of the United States to push pressure on the United States. Oh, I'm sorry, to push pressure on China right now. So whether they're going to succeed, we will see. Uh, China yesterday said that they would agree to participate in some somehow in kind of a inquiry about the uh, the sources of the outbreak. Well, but. When it comes to uh, China, Taiwan's participation in the in the WHO, it's a it's a political issue. It's not up to WHO staff to decide, and it's mostly up to uh, state members. So, if you want China to participate in any kind of inquiry about the uh, the virus outbreak, and uh, well, given that China has a population of more than 1.3, 1.4 billion people. Uh, China's participation in the WHO is is very important. So, well, we don't want also China to leave the WHO. So how do we find a compromise? Um, You have the interests of Taiwan, the United States, and other countries. So we've seen that we need China's participation. We need China's, we need data from China. We need the latest information in case of another virus outbreak. So you need to, well... Assist Taiwan is one thing, but at the same time, you, we and I believe the United States needs to uh, secure and, and, and work and find ways to work with China on these specific issues. You know, I think uh, Dimitri touched on a really interesting point there, and that would be that uh, we don't really know how much of this pressure is uh, actually pro-Taiwan or if it's just merely uh, a, a ploy to uh, pressure Beijing and uh, to support the U.S. and their recent strident stances against uh, China. So uh, I'm not sure exactly how much support we, uh, we as in Taiwan, has uh, in general for this position. But if you talk to people on the streets down here in Kaohsiung, there's a lot of anger. Um, people are you know, supporting the Trump administration's suspension of funds, and uh, we should do this and we should do that. But then when you ask people, like, well, what could we do to actually compromise and find a solution for this, no one really has any sort of solution. The only thing I've heard that made any sort of sense was a doctor who told me that we should, we as in Taiwan, should just go ahead and participate even though we are not in. So in other words, he's saying we should submit reports, we should uh, play according to the rule books, and uh, just sort of assume that we are part of the uh, WHO even though we're not. And he also said that uh, this may be something that is just a price that we pay for our de facto independence. So the fact that we are not in this organization means that we are free to uh, continue running our own affairs. 
And if that's a trade-off that we have to make, then, then people might have to accept that, because as, again, Dimitri pointed out, China is a, a very large power, and it's not going anywhere soon. So, yeah, a very, very complicated issue, but uh, for the most part, we should just uh, continue doing what we're doing, submitting reports, uh, cooperating, and being as, as, as helpful to the rest of the world as we can. And Michael, what about the huge lines that formed earlier this week in Kaohsiung when lots of people tried to apply for the 10,000 NT coronavirus relief grant? Right, so let's start with a little bit of sympathy for some of the people involved in this. I mean, we're talking about everyone from people who fl- sell flowers in front of a temple, beetle nut sellers, uh, a random peanut vendor on the sidewalk. Yeah, these, all these people have seen business drop dramatically. And then, of course, scale it up for everything, taxi drivers, uh, hotel workers, um, just all sorts of people are suffering at this point. There's no question that there's a bigger hit to the economy than a lot of uh, people who are perhaps in, in more established jobs and positions are feeling right now. They're, they're not getting that same, uh, you know, just the pain that a lot of people are under. But on the other hand, it does seem that there were some people who went there with the idea of like, hey, free money. And they weren't willing to go through the process, which although from what I could tell was slightly cumbersome, there were a lot of staff on hand to help shepherd people through the process. There were people who were help, helping people fill out forms. But you had a lot of uh, older people. You had a lot of people who perhaps are not super well educated. And they found it extremely frustrating. And they sort of threw their hands up in, in frustration and just said, you know, screw this. I'm taking my you know, toys and going home. And that attitude is just not helpful. And the government is trying to do something here. It may not be a lot, but they, they, they are, they're, they're trying. So I think we need to have a little bit of patience here and accept that, uh, yeah, there is pain, but at the same time, at least something is happening. And in uh, many other places, nothing at all is happening. And, Dimitri, of course, the Premier admitted that maybe they should have probably explained the application process a little bit better. Well, there is well, there is an issue here because, um, of course, you need to explain how to properly apply for these uh, grants and subsidies. But at the same time, we still hope that the government could have a better understanding of how people uh, live in these difficult times. A couple of days ago, uh, the government just released the latest uh, data about unemployment in Taiwan. And there was a press conference, and then we were told that, well, the unemployment rate in the first quarter just only increased 0.04% in the first quarter of this year. Well, uh, down back, uh, I don't know, in Kaohsiung, but also in Taipei, we see, we hear a lot of people who have no jobs. They just yeah. survive. And when you actually, the out of the system already, because you can't, you you know, if you out of a job, your job in Taiwan, you can only apply for a subsidy or help for just six months. So after six months, you're on your own. And these people without a job have maybe have been on their own for a long time. And now they find it even more difficult to survive. So based on the numbers and the data that the government has uh, in its hands right now, maybe the situation's okay. Some people are doing fine, but they are not doing fine. And then they see just this hope a little hope at the end of the tunnel they say well i just maybe this grant i can get it and then try to you know improve the living of my family so well we we shouldn't blame them for trying actually and the government should do proper homework before releasing and and giving hope to all these people yeah there's a lot of really sad stories there's a you know a a woman in gaoshong who was talking about how she's got an 100 year old mother that she's taking care of and she hasn't paid the rent in two months and there's, you know, families with children living in more rural areas of the city or talking about not being able to feed their kids. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it, uh, I, I agree. There, there's, there is a lot more suffering than I think we uh, have uh, just on the record books. 
And uh, it, it stretches across so many uh, strata of society. But there's a big chunk of people, you know, office workers, people who have, uh, I don't know, serious jobs or whatever, and they're not feeling the pain that the average person is feeling. So, yeah, we do need to have sympathy for them. Well, we also need to take into account that $10,000 is nothing. And if you live in Taipei uh, and you can't even pay your rent with 10000 so it's all—it's already just little money compared to funds that uh, relief funds released by other countries around the world, in the United States, in Europe. All governments are trying to help. But so just it's just little money. So, well, even for them, for, for the average person in Taiwan, 10000 it's important. So yeah. we just need to get it. Yeah. I think there's a feeling that because we're not on lockdown that, you know, the economy is still buzzing along, but that's just not the case. Like in Kaohsiung, we have a night market, uh, the Reifong night market, which is the popular one where uh, the local people prefer to go to uh, rather than the tourist uh, one over in Liuhe. So Reifong is seeing uh, numbers slashed by 90% after that ship came in, and people with the virus were, were reported to be walking around that market. And these are people who don't have, you know, actual business licenses, they're probably many of them are not paying taxes, but they're also not making significant amounts of money. And when business drops 90% at the Reifong night market, yeah, these people don't have anything to fall back on. So if, if, it's, if it's these kind of people, they, they really do need more assistance. So, yeah, it would be nice if the government could find a way to better understand exactly the unemployment situation or the under-unemployment situation and react to it perhaps better. And, Dimitri, of course, we had the... National Taiwan University's health department bods came out this week and said basically they expect the coronavirus to be sort of lowered by June and they want the government to gradually lift measures, prevention measures, which makes sense to me. But what about the fact that they said the government should basically look at maybe limiting the number of overseas visitors? Well... There is a contradiction here. Uh, some, you just mentioned that we're not in a lockdown. Uh, we are in a lockdown. We are in a national lockdown. A few months ago, about 130,000 people arrived at National Taiwan at the uh, Taoyuan International Airport every day. Today, it's less than 1,000 people. So we are in a national lockdown. Uh, within Taiwan, we can't feel that pain. We can move around, go to work, see families and friends. It's fine. But as soon as you lift that lid and you let people in, you will have a second phase and you have more cases coming because most of the imported cases we've seen, uh, the, the cases we've seen in Taiwan in recent weeks, and I think it's about for about almost a month, it's been all imported cases. So, uh, well, the National Taiwan University is maybe optimistic that within a month we can lift some of these restrictions, but as soon as we lift them, we will have new cases because uh, until we find, uh, until there is a vaccine and then in a couple of months, maybe by the end of the year or the next year, it will be safer to let people in and let Taiwanese people travel out. So we have this sense of security now. We're okay. We can live. Uh, our lives haven't changed that much. But as soon as we lift that, we change. We'll have more cases. Because uh, we had we had actually a very different strategy from other countries. There is a factor called the... Um, um, community uh, uh, immunity. It's that within the community, because we had no cases, there there is 
whenever there is a new case, you will have a lot of new cases around Taiwan, which is not the case in Europe and the United States. They, they, they adopt a very different strategy. They very, they really, they've been struggling for weeks and months now, but they will see the end of the tunnel faster because at the community level, there is immunity. And there will be immunity faster than we have in Taiwan. So, well, we are in the nice, maybe lockdown nationally, and that might last another, actually for another couple of months. The only uh, five-star hotel in Tainan was forced to close uh, not, like a week or so ago. The effects of the lack of, of visitors and uh, travel or even transit through Taiwan is, is astonishing. And, uh, yes, um, I, I have to agree that... Uh, if we do open it back up again, we will see a significant surge, and I don't know if we are ready for that. Um, but I think they are correct in assuming that the risk is different for different uh, sectors of the economy. So, for example, um, if you were going to, say, a hardware store, you probably would spend a lot of time, you know, meandering through the stall, through the, through the, the aisles and looking for what you want. And perhaps that would be a place that maybe you need to put uh, certain restrictions in and only allow certain people in. But perhaps if you were going to a, a drugstore to pick up a prescription or something, maybe that would be something that would be less of a risk factor. So they will have to learn from countries all around the world and make intelligent decisions and slowly phase in depending on what is uh, realistic and what is possible. So it's going to take a lot of, of thought, and I, I do hope that they learn from other countries, uh, other strategies, what worked and what didn't work. But, but yes, the fact that we are, uh, as uh, Dimitri noted, on a, a, a national lockdown is causing an intense amount of suffering for many, many people here. And moving on, and the Taiwan Supreme Administrative Court has rejected Kaohsiung Mayor Hang Guo-yu's final appeal to halt his June the 6th recall vote against him. Now, that comes, of course, after Mr Han has been on an offensive, a charm offensive, basically trying to promote his saying, do not recall me, I've done so many good things. And, of course, Michael in Kaohsiung, the pollsters have also been out trying to predict who will win the recall vote. Yeah, the polls are mostly being conducted from what I can see by green-leaning organizations, and they have him probably uh, somewhere around 50, 52, as high as 52% of voters saying they, they want to see him go. And this is a really historic uh, event, because we've seen recall attempts at, uh, for various uh, legislators and, and very other things, but we've never seen something make it this far for such a high-level official. So win or lose, this is a, a, an interesting moment for Taiwanese history. And yes, um, he has been doing his best to stay professional, or at least to look professional for the cameras, and he's penned a 5,600-word article, as is his right to do under the recall law, and in there he listed 15 accomplishments that he's made since he's become mayor, and of those he noted that in January of this year he had a, an American company was interested in investing in his love Ferris wheel idea, but of course these things were very quickly seized on by critics who point out that you know, just because someone's interested in funding doesn't mean they're going to fund, and then with the pandemic, you know, that's probably been put on hold indefinitely. Some of the other ideas that he's trying to take credit for are uh, an idea to build a science park in the Chalto district of the city, but that was something that both his opponent Chen Chi Mai had supported and even uh, Tsai Ing-wen had supported during her 
reelection campaign. So his general argument is that he's been responsible. He shouldered the burden of uh, running for president for his party because he was asked to. Uh, he apologized uh, to people in Kaohsiung if they felt hurt by um, uh, him doing that uh, too fast. It was uh, so. It's a it's a very complicated thing, and um, it's. If you had asked me this question a couple months ago, I probably would have come down on the side of him definitely being taken out of office. But is there a fatigue that has set in? Will people actually from other cities, will they get on trains and come down? Um, it's hard to say. So, Dimitri, hang what you recall fatigue there. Yeah, well, I feel that kind of fatigue too because I really still don't understand, don't see the point in doing this recall right now. We're just in the middle of an outbreak. Uh, we did, we tell people to just, you know, be careful, just keep, uh, distance, proper safe distance between people and stuff like that. Is it really a top priority for the government and for authorities to push for a kind, this kind of a referendum now? Um, the other concern I have is that, well, you're elected for four years. And uh, the mayor hasn't been uh, condemned or sued or whatever for whatever reason. The, his only mistakes with a question mark is that well he he he, he tried to join the, uh, the he tried his best in the presidential election, but well this is no crime. Uh, in three years from now, the Kaohsiung people will have again uh, through the election process will have a say on his. Uh, four years in office, but after one year, uh, I mean, for most election officials, what can you do in one year? Usually, you, there isn't much you can do. So, well, this is the what we see potentially is that uh, we'll see maybe more sympathy uh, for um, Mayor Han, Mayor Han in the future because of all of this. But well, it's still not clear. What if the recall fails? What 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 are we going to do? Are we going to do a second recall and then a third one? Well, they don't want some people don't want him in Kaohsiung, but that's not a crime. Let's wait for another three years and then there will be another election, and and these things will go uh, well, will I end can, up naturally. I can tell you what Aaron Yin, the uh, organizer of this, would respond to uh, a statement like that. He would say that. Number one, think of all of the effort that they had to go through to get to the stage. They had to first get the first level of signatures, then the second one, then it had to be confirmed. There were court challenges, and he would say, this was done according to Taiwanese law. We have every right to do this, and the threshold for getting to this point is very, very high. And the fact that we got here demonstrates very clearly that a large percentage of the voters of Kaohsiung are dissatisfied with this person. So... He is being democratically now judged in the same way that he was democratically elected. So that, that argument would probably not hold up for, for the people that uh, are, are not in support of him. And as to his crime, I mean, I guess uh, it, it's fair to say that running for president is not a crime. But there's, there's many, many other issues that they have with this mayor, the people who are against him. And there, it's, it's, it goes everything from um, not actually paying attention to the city, not really knowing the city, wanting to use the city as a springboard for other political ambitions. And he is just seriously not <laughs> liked by a very large uh, segment of the voters down here. So whether or not, uh, you know, it's right or wrong, it is the law, and they have the right to do this. 
So Aaron Yin has been very, very vocal about uh, the fact that the city has been less than cooperative. Now, you probably would not expect this city government to be all that cooperative, but they haven't allowed uh, certain banners to go up. So the, the anti-camp has been projecting um, uh, uh, laser images on the sides of buildings. Um, they haven't allowed advertisements in the subway, various things like that. And we still don't have a clear uh, polling booth uh, chart. Originally, on the 3rd of this month, they said they were going to use exactly the same about 1,800 polling stations that they used for the election. But now that is slightly uh, in question because some schools are, are, are worried about it. But you, uh, I'm seeing hypocrisy on both sides. So on the uh, uh, anti-Han camp, there's people who are saying, oh, we shouldn't use schools because they would, uh, you know, this, this whole thing would sully the, 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 the children. And, you know, this is bad for, a bad example for the children. Well, the election's being held on a Saturday, and the kids won't be in school. So that's kind of a moot point and seems just sort of uh, ridiculous. Then you have others who are, are, are arguing that the city should be uh, the, the pro, uh, the ones who wanted to remove him. They want the city to be actively involved in putting up advertisements for the removal of their own mayor, and that seems also just not realistic. So it's a it's a very very divisive agenda down here. But um, if I had to put money on it, it looks like he probably uh, will be recalled. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And we're going to jump straight in now with Justice Minister Tsai Ching-shang this week, saying that his office is currently reviewing laws regarding criminal offenders with mental disorders. Now, the move follows the controversial acquittal last week of a man accused of killing a police officer. Now, according to Tsai, the Justice Ministry has held discussions on a proposed amendment to the Criminal Code, which will allow courts to extend the custodial protection of offenders found not guilty on grounds of diminished responsibility. And Tsai says initial conclusions of those discussions supported an amendment to allow courts to extend the maximum custodial period for up to three years at the request of prosecutors. And he went on to say that the proposed amendment would place no limit on the number of times prosecutors could seek such extensions and it would mandate an annual evaluation of the offender while in custodial protection. Now, those statements came days after the Jai District Court was forced to raise the bail for the sole suspect in the July 29 killing of the policeman on a train from half a million NT to one million NT after prosecutors filed a second appeal. Now, the suspect, though, remains in detention, as his family have said they're unable to pay the bail in the first place. So, of course, Michael, controversy over the sentencing of, I believe the man was um, diagnosed with schizophrenia. Right. Uh, you know, how a society treats its worst uh, offenders, uh, criminals in particular, is a reflection of uh, its values and, and what, what, what kind of a, of a people we want to be. And in this case, you know, obviously I wasn't there, but from what I've read of the story, the man was having uh, hallucinogenic uh, babblings on the train before that. He believed he was being uh, threatened. He has uh, clear records of schizophrenia and other mental issues that go back uh, a decade or so. So 
it seems that, uh, you know, he, if, if anyone would qualify for possibly a diminished uh, uh, responsibility, this person seems to be one of those. But I think the, the bigger issue here is that many, many people in Taiwan simply don't trust the judgments of judges or the, the criminal justice system in general. So there's not a lot of confidence in what comes out of uh, judges' mouths, and uh, people make wild accusations about politics or other things being involved because we, we have had, you know, a, a history of corruption and other things in the legal system. So it's going to take a little while before we get to the point, I believe, where many people will be fine with accepting that uh, a, a judge's ruling based on a doctor's verdict is, is the right thing to do. But I feel very strongly about this, that uh, we do need to consider the, the, the facts of a case. And just because uh, someone did something horrific, it, uh, there very well could be mitigating circumstances. In fact, you know, if you think about it logically, who does something as crazy as stab a police officer if they're not crazy? So that would be my take on it. And of course, Dimitri, one of the problems with this was the fact that it, what, the court decision to basically acquit the suspect was based on the decision of one doctor and there's now calls for more than one doctor to be involved in such cases well that's i think it's a chance for the uh, the, the the judicial system in taiwan to uh, look into these issues from a different angle uh, death penalty in Taiwan, uh, whenever we have a conversation with uh, Taiwanese people, the, a lot of people believe that it's the uh, only solution to cases like that. And this person deserves that because he did this and that. Now, in some cases, and many cases actually, we see that, well, uh, when we look deeper into these issues, we, we, we can realize that these people have, have very have medical, have medical issues, serious medical issues. And it's time maybe for Taiwan to look into, not in, only into these crimes, but also into uh, how do we help and assist people with serious mental problems in Taiwan? And what can we do to help them more? Because maybe that's the only way to prevent a situation like that to happen again. Well, even uh, we don't know what's going to happen. There, there might be uh, an appeal later on, but... Uh, the, the the question is what can we do uh, to make sure that these and issues like that something like this then does not never happens again. That's the, I think the the, the the most important question. Because of course, Dimitri, one can argue if he was if he had schizophrenia, surely I mean, obviously he would spend life in prison for killing a police officer. But maybe you know life in a mental institute might be a better place for him than in a regular prison. Well, the question is why wasn't he in the hospital in the first place? If he had schizophrenia, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Why wasn't he in the hospital in the first place? And that's maybe the question we have also to answer instead of arguing endlessly about whether you should get death penalty because here you get death penalty all the time. Yeah, and also just in general, the, uh, the attitudes that we have towards the mentally ill uh, it seems that most of the time people would rather just lock them either away at home or just keep them out of view and uh, not talk about it. But, yeah, I agree. We do need to start talking about it more and finding solutions for this. And if you recall the, the case of the, of the little girl who yeah. was uh, horrifically murdered in Taipei and the judgment that came down from that as well, and, you know, many people disagreed with it, but um, if, you, if you look deeper into it, uh, again, you know, there, there does seem to be underlying mental issues. And every country has, has, has had to deal with this. I mean, you, you, everyone from, 
from the, the person who shot Ronald Reagan to, you know, you, you can go through every, every country in the world. They've had to come up with standards and, and, and uh, ways of explaining and understanding and, and having compassion on people who commit uh, really horrible things, but there are mitigating circumstances. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that need to be discussed about this. Now, moving on to a rather jollier topic, that being the Central Epidemic Command Centres giving the Chinese professional baseball league the go-ahead to open its stadiums to 1,000 fans from this evening. Now, of course, the league had been playing to empty stadiums since the beginning of the season on April the 12th, but Health Minister Chen Shih-jong said he approved the proposal by the league to admit up to 1,000 fans per game as part of measures aimed at partially relaxing social distancing restrictions due to a decline in the number of coronavirus cases. And CPBL Secretary-General Feng Shengshen says the league has prepared a detailed epidemic prevention measures and fans will be required to remain in their designated seats, wear face masks at all times and also maintain a safe distance from other fans. So, Michael, it's goodbye to the moving mannequins and hello real people for local baseball. <laughs> yeah, well, all I can say about this story from down here in the South is that, you know, absence may make the heart grow fonder in this case, and I'm talking to a lot of people who previously probably would not have bothered to go out to uh, the uh, baseball stadium that we have out here near the Chenching Lake, but they're telling me that they're raring to go and really into it, and there's been a, a resurgence in, in, in people interested in the teams and the players and uh, so uh, hopefully this will just be good for Taiwan baseball and Taiwan sports in general, and uh, hopefully it's safe. Well, that's what we need now. Uh, we we can t- we've seen improvements. We, the situation is getting stable in Taiwan. It's time for uh, people to let to enjoy, to, to spend time with friends, go to to games, watch games, and stuff like that. So, well, this is the right time. It's it's, it's the perfect time for that. The weather is nice, so it's uh, tonight is the right time to to watch a game. Do you think it will act as a, a, a sort of a social morale booster, Dimitri? Yeah, I think that would boost uh, that would boost the morale. That would that would give show them that uh, well. I after the confinement, after all the uh, the social distancing, uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So, well, now it's time to enjoy. And play ball as they will this evening. <laughs> anyway, before we go, Presidential Office spokesman Javier Zhang on Wednesday of this week announced that May the 20th inauguration of President Tsai Ing-wen and Vice President-elect William Lai will be streamlined due to ongoing efforts to combat the coronavirus outbreak. Now, according to Zhang, unlike previous inaugurations involving multiple public events, this year's ceremony will be simple and solemn. Tsai Ing-wen will basically be sworn in with William Lai, they'll give an address and they'll meet with local envoys but no foreign guests are being invited to attend and all get all messages from said foreign guests will be made via video link or they'll already been emailed in and they'll just be played on the day now of course it being the inauguration plenty of paraphernalia is available the central bank has unveiled two commemorative coins to mark the may 20th inauguration of the president and vice president and of course the taiwan tobacco and liquor corporation has announced a series of limited edition alcoholic beverages Celebrating the occasion. But while fans of hard liquor have had to, well, they'll have to wait basically to sample the whiskies and aged Gaoliang and Shaoxing wine, a special inauguration beer was made available this week. Now, the cans and the labels on all these alcoholic drinks have been designed by Aaron Nier, who was behind the Taiwan Can Help advertisement, which was, of course, published in the New York Times. So, Michael, will you be rushing out to buy yourself some inauguration commemorative coins, waiting for the hard liquor to come? out or popping off to your local convenience store to buy some nice inauguration beer i can see myself grabbing uh one of the beers that'll probably be it but as far as the streamlining and the uh, uh just 
making this a lot simpler and less expensive. I am so down with this idea, and I think we should continue it for every inauguration. Let's extend it to double 10-day. Let's just tone things down a bit. We don't need to spend the amount of money that we do. We don't need to go as nuts as we do with some of these things. We are a small island with, uh, uh, we, we, we just don't need all of this stuff. And I think that's one of the things we're learning a lot from this coronavirus is that we don't need as much as we thought we needed before. What's wrong with getting a video message from a president of another country? Why do they have to get on a plane and fly and, you know, use up carbon and all the rest of this? We can do things in a different way. We can make things simpler, easier, and I'm, I hope they, they extend this for, you know, indefinitely. Well, streamlining has been the, the, the bottom line for all events nowadays. Every event, press conferences, uh, the, everything is streamlined. So, the, for example, the daily uh, news briefing from the Central uh, Epidemic Center, everything is streamlined to different media uh, every day. So, well, yes, we've learned a lot and we, I think we'll go further into this in this direction in the future. Yeah, that's right. But what about the pomp and circumstance? Do you think the public will miss the pomp and circumstance, Michael? Um, you know, to be honest, I don't because, you know, I've been here for 30 years and I've watched, uh, for example, Double Ten celebrations. And, you know, it used to be a thing where people would, the, the whole town would shut down and the TVs would be on. Everyone would be, you know, watching this, flyovers and everything. But that's changed a lot in Taiwan. And these days, people hardly bother to turn on the TV or it's just there in the background. So I don't think we're going to miss it that much. And, you know, I think we can be a little bit more humble. We don't need to, to put on such a, a, a big show all the time. It may not be necessary. You know, that's just my take. Pomp and circumstance, will you miss it, Dimitri? Uh, no, not really. We uh, maybe we still have the flyby uh, from the air force in the uh, in Taipei on that specific day. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty safe because they're in the air in their yeah. airplanes. No chance of breathing on anyone. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, but well, that that's enough for me. Uh, I can watch them on TV though. That that's enough or on my phone. It's it's nice. Anyway, that's all. We'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buyas. Thank you. Good evening. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Again, thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.